0: We're continuing in our, in our theme series, uh, Treasuring Christ Together. I love the words of, of, of that song, the first words of how He loves us. He's jealous for me. He's a jealous God. It's a righteous jealousy that He has. When you think about that, that's, that's the essence of what I've been speaking about. There are many things in our lives that, that are vying for our attention and our affections. And yet, Christ must be our treasure. He must be our treasure. So we're continuing in this series, Treasuring Christ Together, and I want to focus on specifically treasuring Christ in our relationships, relationships, especially in marriage. Now, if you're here and you're not married, it's okay. Um, There are going to be some great takeaways for you as well. Um, Much of this is uh, applicable to many other Relationships as well. Many key Christian leaders tell us tragically that the divorce rate among believers is virtually the same as non believers. And by the way, I didn't tell Bob what I was speaking about uh, particularly. And and there's some truth to these statistics. However, upon further research, uh, I found that they are a bit misleading. and, And this is good news for the church. I came across an interesting article entitled uh, Fact Checker, Divorce Rate Among Christians written by Glenn Stanton of the Gospel Coalition. And this is a very well-researched article and this author essentially points out that statistically, yes, nominal Christians, and that word is important, in other words, those who are Christian by name only, and there's too many of those in our world, they have a very high divorce rate. These would be people who identify as Christian, but don't have an active faith. They don't read their Bibles. They don't pray regularly. They don't attend worship regularly. They don't live by the Word of God. The divorce rate for these couples are neck and neck with those of unbelievers or the secular world. However, this is great news for Christians. Active Christians, active believers, those who regularly attend church, who pray consistently, those who read their Bibles consistently, those who are, as the author says, quote, serious disciples, enjoy significantly lower divorce rates than mere church members, the general public, and unbelievers, end quote. That's really good news. So here's here's the bottom line. A husband and a wife who treasure Jesus Christ above all things are going to have stronger marriages You want a strong marriage? Treasure Jesus above your spouse, above your children, above everything else. And I think this truth applies to any relationship, single people. Friendships, uh, parent-child relationships, work relationships, relationships within the church. All of these are much healthier when both parties love the Lord and treasure Him above all things. So if I treasure Christ as we've been talking about, that results in a desire for me to live my life for the glory of God rather than the glory of myself. See, people in the world, they live for their own glory. It's all about them. But if I treasure Jesus Christ, then I am living my life with great concern, not for my glory, but for His. And the question now becomes within marriage in light of Valentine's Day, how is it that we can glorify God in our marriages? How can we glorify God in and through marriage? And So I want you to take your Bibles, kind of a peculiar passage for talking about marriage. Um, the, the story, as a matter of fact, is emphatically not about marriage, but it can offer us a lot of insight in its application to many different areas in life, one of those being in our relationship. So if you would, stand one more time for the reading of the Word of God. Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says this, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now, now the point of this passage is to attest to the sovereignty and the power of God at At this time, many people uh, believed in henotheism, which is the the belief that each nation has its own individual God. But the story shows that uh, Jehovah is always responsible for victory or defeat. He is not just the king of Israel, but he is the king of the universe. Are you with me? So, going on about Naaman, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went, and he told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel." So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you to name sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? That this man since... Word to me to cure a man of his leprosy, only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel among me. So he believes the, the king, of his, uh, king of Syria is asking him to do something that he is absolutely not capable of. In other words, he's picking a fight. Verse 8, our minds will take us some weird places. It will mess us up if we let our minds take us in these places. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a message to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean." But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned away and he went in rage. But his servants came to him and said, My father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Lord, add your blessing to your word today, help me to rightly divide the word of truth in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, my aim is to explain this passage and its meaning and then... In its application, I want to point out three truths that will help us to have stronger, more Christ-exalting marriages. And I hope if you're married, that is your goal. And again, if if you're not, these truths will help us in many other relationships as well. I think most of us can relate in some way to this man called Naaman. And I think this passage is very revealing in the way that, that many of us approach certain situations in life. So number one, if if we are to have Christ-exalting marriages, we must have, write this down, realistic expectations. Let me just kind of recap what's happening in this story. This man, by the name of Naaman, is a commander of the army of the king of Syria. This would be the Aramean kingdom of Damascus. This is South Syria. And he is a man of valor, a courageous man. Who engages in continuous warfare. But even Naaman, this decorated commander, needs the Lord. No matter how strong you think you are, there will come a time when you need the Lord. I love the the story. I believe it was told by Pastor Clint Brown. He was on an airplane one time. And a businessman was sitting next to him. And he looked at him and he said, sir, what do you do for a living? He said, well, I'm a pastor. The man kind of scoffs and he says, well, I don't believe in God. I'm not a man of faith. The pastor says, well, okay, I I do. A little bit later, the the plane comes into some turbulence and it it drops and it begins to shake. And the people, it was was very bad and the people kind of freaked out. And the man sitting next to him, he says, pray, Reverend. Clint Brown looks at him and says, to who? (laughs) Come on. There's, come, there's going to come a time when you need Him. Amen. The people in your life that think they have no need for God, there will come a time when they recognize their need for Him. They may not call upon the name of the Lord, but there is going to come a time in life where they at least wish they knew the King of Kings. Amen? Amen. So Naaman becomes stricken with this dreadful disease that would cause him to be ostracized, for the rest of his life, and eventually it would lead to a premature and likely an agonizing death. Uh, leprosy is not something you want. Just to clarify, in, in one of the Syrian raids, Naaman took a cap. He took captive a Jewish girl who became his wife's maid. And this girl is interesting. He she is a slave, but she's incredibly free because she knows the Lord her God, and the Lord uses her. This. Young girl, as a witness, attesting to the power of God, seeing Naaman and his suffering, she tells her mistress about the prophet who is back in Samaria. And she, and she says, Listen, this man can help Naaman. And the testimony of this young girl is so convincing, in fact, that the wife tells her husband, who then in turn tells the king. Now, let me just stop here, give you something a little extra. Never underestimate the power of your testimony. Never underestimate the power of what God has done in your life, what you know. You may not have a degree on your wall in in theology or biblical studies, but the Lord will use what you do know to change somebody's life. That is the case that we're reading right now. Naaman decides to, to give this a try. He's desperate. He needs a touch from the Lord. And in order now to leave Syria, he needs his king's permission, and then he needs to take with him a, a letter of introduction to the king of Israel. So Naaman makes his way to the king of Israel, delivering the letter of intent from his king, and there's quite a tension. You can read this kind of you can tell in the scripture, but that, that exists between the two kingdoms. And so the king of Israel thinks this is a setup. Why are you asking me to cleanse this man of leprosy? I'm not a healer. You're asking me to do something I cannot do. You're starting a quarrel. War is coming. That's what he's thinking. And so the, the king kind of messes his clothes up. He, he strips and, 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 and he tears his clothes. This is a, 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 a sign of distress or great sorrow. And so just when Naaman thinks that his visit is going to be fruitless... And all hope is down the drain. I mean, that's not a good sign when you ask the king for something, he just starts tearing his clothes. The answer's probably no. But here's what happened. Thankfully, the man of God, Elisha, steps in and tells the king that there's no reason to worry and he asks that Naaman be sent to him. Now here's where we pick up in verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Now, that's good news, right? But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. And then you go to the last part there. So he turned and he went away in rage. Are you kidding me? The Lord's trying to bless you, and you're going to what going away upset. Here's what I want you to see. Naaman almost missed the blessing of the Lord. He almost missed this miracle because he had unrealistic expectations. Here's what I mean. The man of God, Elijah, is kind enough to see Naaman, to to to, to even give him the time of day, this foreigner. The Lord is willing to stretch out his hand in healing, but not the way that Naaman had envisioned. And here's what he does he becomes offended because of unrealistic expectations. He thinks Elisha ought to see me himself instead of sending one of his men out to tell me what to do. And not only that, he ought to just wave his hand and call upon the Lord. Asking me to go dip in the Jordan seven times. Who does he think he is? Unrealistic expectations. And oh, I think some church folks can relate to that. Complaining and grumbling. The Lord's trying to bless you. Get out of the way and let the Lord bless you. Now, let me take this around and bring this home to marriage. Let me apply this to marriage. You're like, how in the world are you going to do that? One of the biggest problems is in marriage is that husband and wife walk in with unrealistic expectations. There are a couple of popular myths that I want to kind of debunk today if I could. Um, Number one is this, the first myth. Marriage is going to be easy if I can find the right person. Single people that are looking for your soulmate, listen up. Your soulmate doesn't exist. Okay? Hollywood has lied to us. Some single folks just went, What? (laughs) I love it. Sorry to burst your bubble, folks. There are so, uh, Hollywood has lied to us. They have made marriage look like a fairy tale. Have you noticed? And if you can just find your queen, or your Prince Charming, or your knight in shining armor, life will be blissful. Right? we go into marriage with these unrealistic expectations thinking, this is going to be awesome. And there are so many movies or or, or songs about men or women who would climb the highest mountain, swim the the depths of the the, the largest sea, would go to the ends of the earth for their true love. And a week into marriage, you realize, ladies, you can't get in to go to Walmart, much less the end of the earth for you. Am I telling the truth? Help me marry people. Come on now. Clarification for you. I'm going to debunk this myth. It doesn't matter who you marry, marriage takes work. It is not easy. Pastor Willie George said this He says, When you pick a spouse, you are choosing the set of problems that will frustrate you for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's what you're doing when you get married. Don't believe the lie that your marriage is the only one that takes work. Because here's what the devil will say. Well, if you just had somebody else, see. Right? It it would be fixed. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Do you know that that, uh, second marriages have a much higher divorce rate than first? Why? Because you're still there. Right? It's like the woman at the well. How many husbands did she have? Five. Five. Remember, Jesus is talking to her five husbands. Maybe this next one's going to be the, the man. Maybe he's going to be the soulmate. Number two wasn't the soulmate. Number three, number four, number five. And so finally she just shacks up with somebody, realizing that her soulmate really isn't out there. Marriage takes work. Whoever you're married to, like it or not, they are your soulmate now. Okay? That's who you're meant to be with. Well, we just got married outside of the will of God. Sorry. Love them. Love them. I I found this interesting. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's late wife. You know, Billy Graham, this great evangelist, man of God, was asked if she ever thought about divorce. And she said, no, I've never thought of divorce in these 35 years of marriage. But, she said, I did think of murder a few times. (laughs) Even Billy Graham wasn't a perfect spouse. So no matter who you will marry, you will have issues. Okay? Myth number two. My spouse is supposed to to complete me. Oh, I'm just looking for somebody to complete me. The last time I looked, single folks, you weren't walking around as a half a person. Okay, And this is really good news in all seriousness. Because I, I know some of you in this church want to be married so badly. And I, and if that's your heart, I want the Lord to, to, to give you a spouse. But here's the thing. Until then, you're not a half a person. You are valuable. Your identity is never going to be in a man or a woman. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. Relish in that. And married people are going to just enjoy it. My wife's not in here. I can say whatever I want. This is awesome. So many spouses, here's what they do. They go into marriage not looking for a helpmeet, not looking for a companion. You know essentially what they're looking for? A savior. And it doesn't work. Let me quote Ruth Graham one more time. She said, it is a foolish woman who expects her husband to be to her that which only Jesus Christ Himself can be always ready to forgive, totally understanding, unendingly patient, invariably tender and loving, unfailing in every area, anticipating every need, and making more than adequate provision. Such expectations put a man under an impossible strain. And and let me just add, men feel the weight of that strain so often. And then the same would go for a husband's expectation toward his wife as well. Your identity is not in your spouse. Your purpose is not found in your spouse. Your spouse is not meant to be your joy. Your spouse is never meant to be your Savior. Spouses, I think it was Paul Tripp who said, spouses make great companions, but lousy saviors. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. Your security is found in Jesus Christ. Your confidence, it's not in a man or a woman, it's in Christ. So don't make your spouse responsible for what only Jesus can give. Okay? This is the same with friendships and other relationships. My wife had a good friend in another state that was mad at her all the time because my wife didn't text her enough or call her enough. And what she didn't know was, this is when I was going through my three-year depression and my wife was ready to lose her mind. She worked full-time. She was in ministry almost full-time. She took care of the kids, did what I couldn't do at times. She had to be the father and the mother. And somebody's mad because you don't give enough, you don't give enough, you don't give enough. Hey, I love you, but it's unrealistic expectations. So this will help you in every relationship. This is true in the church. People get unhappy. (laughs) They leave over the silliest things because they're looking for a church to be perfect. And I'll just be honest with you, real life community church it's not perfect, okay? You're looking at a very imperfect pastor. I make decisions, and I go, "Did I really make that?" I look back a year later, or whatever, and I think that I make that, but I'm not perfect. But let me give you some great news: I'm not your savior. My job is to point you to the one who can change your life, who is perfect. Amen. So, if we're going to have healthy marriages and healthy relationships in general, we must have realistic expectations. Secondly, we must put in reasonable effort. I'm going to preach. Verse 13 says that Naaman's servants came to him and said, my father, it's a great word that the prophets have spoken to you. I love that I have people like this in my life. My wife being one of them. Will you not do it? In other words, quit having your pity party. This this man's trying to bless you they said, has he actually said to you wash and be clean? They're trying to figure this out like Naaman, what's the problem here? Naaman is upset that he came all this way and the prophet didn't just wave his hand and make it go away this leprosy and his servants are pleading with him Naaman this is no big deal you like to swim we brought your little swimmies with with us come on, dip in the Jordan seven times And so Naaman finally acquiesces to this request. And verse 14 says, He went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. How many just want to go to the Jordan right now? Like, hey, I I could find some... Yeah, I need to find that water. When the Lord moves, He often asks us to do something. As an act of faith. Naaman almost missed the blessing of the Lord because he was unwilling to put in the effort asked of him. Let me give you an example. I believe the Lord wants to grow this church even more. We're looking at soon. Amen. I receive that. One of you excited about it. I believe the Lord wants to grow this church. But here's the deal. We can't just sit back with our feet up and go, I mean, you've got to have like a treasure map to find us. Matter of fact, brother, brother Wayne and Joanne, they found us by accident. They thought they were going to another church. Their, their, friends are still, yeah. their friends are still waiting for them over there. Like, come on, I invited you. You said you were coming six months ago. Where are you at? You can't find us. We can't just sit back here and expect people to show up. Now, what are we to do? The Lord's going to help us grow. He gives the increase, but we've got to go to the highways and the byways and compel them to come. Tell them about Jesus and say, my pastor's crazy, you got to... No, tell them about... We've got to be out preaching the gospel. And see, if you want your marriage to work, husband and wife, you must put in some effort. Are you with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out right now, alright? Let's just make this real practical. Husband, love your wife. Put some effort in and show her how much you love her. Be a man of valor. Let her feel safe with you. Protect her. Esteem her. Cherish her. Honor her. Let other people know that you're proud of her. I mean, walk with her arm in and arm and, and with great dignity. Ladies, I thought you'd be smiling about right now. <laughs> Hold her hand. Put your arm around her. Tell her you love her. I'm just going to call out my buddy Justin back here. This guy is a champion husband. When I read his Facebook post, part of me wants to puke. And part of me, I did their wedding, part of me wants to go, this guy is awesome. So we have this thing, older people, it's called WCW. Look, she knows. Justin, what's that mean? <laughs> yeah, right? So, so this is, his crush is still his wife. His choice is still his wife. I did their wedding. I take all the credit. I did their premarital counseling. No, listen, I love this. And and I can bet that that, that Justin and Tasha's marriage isn't perfect. I know them. I know they're not perfect people. They're great people, but they're not perfect. But I love it every Wednesday almost. Matter of fact, this last week, I think you forgot it on Thursday. You said, hey, it's a late post. But I still want the world to know I cherish my wife. That's incredible. There are few young men that cherish their wife like that. I'm grateful we have that. Do things that she loves to do. Even if you secretly hate them, men, make her think you love the ballet. She might not feel secure with you anymore, but <laughs> love what she loves. All right, I'm gonna, ladies, I'm going to help you here. Men, go to the gym, lay off the Doritos, and a little cologne goes a long, long way. Come on, somebody. Woo her, whiner, her, diner, even more than when you dated her. Because I know what you did to get her. Because some of y'all married up. And you wooed her. And then you tied the knot and you're like, all right, it's done. No, whiner, her, diner, love her, cherish her, put in effort. Now, ladies, your list is a lot sh- shorter. Because frankly, you scare me. <laughs> love your husband, honor him, put in reasonable effort. You're not called to be his savior. But put in an effort. Let me just... I'm going to say this. Don't charge the stage. Don't nag. Don't nag. Please. Did somebody ask for the definition? That's not equated with talking. I'm serious. I have so many... I have so many men that, that just are downtrodden because it's na 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 And then she's like, why don't you ever tell me anything? Gee, I wonder! Because everything that I do, I want to run out the door. Don't nag. man. you can, don't say amen to any of this. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Let him be the spiritual leader of our home, uh, of your home. Okay? Here's the thing. Some of you women in here, you're spiritual champions and you know more about the Bible than your husbands. Some of you. Don't rub it in his face and make him feel like lesser of a man. Let him be the leader God's called him to be. Don't correct him every time he pray. Well, that's not really the way we should pray. Or that's, that's not really the way we, we shouldn't read like this. And that's not the version I would read. No, just, do you know what that really means? You know, Don't do that. Let him lead. Don't put him down in front of other people. Don't put him down if, if you can help. I mean, be honest with him. But don't ever put him down in front of other people. That's just takes the air out of a a man. Build him up. Make him feel like a man of valor. My my wife, I mean, she just makes me feel like king of the world sometimes. I'm not a huge guy, but she makes me... I'm getting there. um, But uh, she makes me feel strong. She makes me feel like I'm the smartest man on the planet. She makes me... if, If we were to put preachers up, you know, if, if I was to stand next to T.D. Jakes and I were to ask my wife or someone were to ask me, who does your wife think is the better preacher? I'd say, oh, by far me. She'd never listen to Brother Jakes. She makes me feel like I'm the best preacher in the world. Make your husbands feel strong and mighty and good. Find something every husband has. You might have to search hard for somebody, but, but find something that they're good at. Find something that they're good at and thank them and and love them and make them feel like the man of your dreams. Okay? Don't focus on his weaknesses. Point out his strengths. Now, a couple more here. Tell him what you need. I'm going to give you a newsflash. We can't read your minds. Don't don't fail to communicate and then be mad at him because he didn't read your mind. He doesn't think like you. Okay? So tell him what you need. Men want that. Don't just say, I need you to show me more love. We're going... Men are... Let me give you one more. And I'm serious about this. Men are visual. Okay? Men are visual. Fix yourself up every once in a while. I'm serious. Woo him. It's the same thing. When you go back to dating. In your dating relationship. You think back. Y'all know you went to McDonald's dressed up, didn't you? I mean, looking good. And now he takes you to a nice meal and you just got your hair thrown up and you, you know, you just don't make, you know. Woo him. Dress up for him every once in a while. That communicates, not to every man, but to most, man, I really care about you. I, I, and, and, and it's not being shallow. I, I don't love my wife because she looks good, but I'm sure thankful she does look good. She, the, just the other night, um, we were, I was on my way home and I, as a matter of fact, I was studying. It was Friday night. Our kids were at a uh, speed-to-light function. And they were getting ready to come home. But my wife had been cleaning all, all night. And she, all she said is this. Um, we were going to sit down and, and just um, ha, have a chat that night. And, and she doesn't do this every night. But she just called me. She said, hey, tell me when you're on your way home. And I said, well, why? She said, I just want to put on something nice for you. And, and, and she, just, she put on some nice jeans, a nice shirt, put on her lipstick. And I just thought... What a sweetheart! She's been cleaning the house. I come into a perfectly clean house, and my wife looks like a million bucks, all for me, and uh, that's just awesome. Do those things for your wife. <laughs> Marriage takes effort. Every relation takes relationship takes effort. What you put in is what you're going to get out. I've had people leave our church because they didn't feel included. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love this. I love the joy of the Lord. We can have fun in church. I've had people leave our church because they didn't feel included, which was really astonishing to me, considering they show up once every four weeks, don't serve, don't give, come late, leave early. I'm shocked you don't feel part of our community. You want to love your church? Pray for it. Build relationships. Serve. Give. Here's a novel idea. Attend. Yeah! Come on somebody You want your marriage to work Put in effort I've, I've counseled people over and over Just sit back and go It's just not working You're never home You never speak You never go anywhere together You don't look at each other Of course it's not working This is not rocket science Put in effort In closing, I I want to try to bring this around to a serious moment because I really envision this to be very serious. (coughs) Before I close, I have a short video. This will help us, that that I want us to watch. And I think it paints a more realistic picture of of the struggle of marriage. Um, About seven years into to my marriage, that was. It's a great picture of me and Nikki. Grew we apart. We didn't put any, any any effort. She was. I'll never forget. Watching her walk into that geometry class our, My junior year of high school And I thought this is the most beautiful girl I've ever seen I'm going to make her mind And I thought that was enough We got married and, at 19 You shouldn't be allowed to get married at 19 You're not home enough to drink You certainly shouldn't be able to s- sign your life away But we got married and we knew immediately That it wasn't the will of God I, I, I didn't go to school then So I could get married She dropped down of school Sorry. My mother-in-law said that. Our parents were thrilled. matter of fact, my in-laws said, what, what, how long have you all been married? 20, 25 years, is that right? And they were going go on a cruise. They had to cancel it to pay for our, our wedding. And uh, I'm still making it up to them. And it was bad. It was bad almost from the start because we were both in the tour. I was beyond in the tour. I was, I was a baby, selfish, self-serving. All oh, I wanted was a trophy wife at that time. A couple years later, we have our firstborn, Dylan. We're fighting, we're arguing, and this is no way for a child to grow up. A few years later, Connor comes along. We're by this time now, I'm, I'm just starting ministry, I was A worship pastor, and I was smiling. My wife is smiling in the sanctuary, but on the inside we were broken to pieces. Because it, it became so bad that we loved each other. This is real life community church. When we came to the crossroads. Maybe it would be better for our children if we just split. Maybe he just be better. They don't need to hear arguing and fighting. So we talked about it. Still young, still in the tour. Been through some tough things. And the easiest thing to do, and what the culture screamed to us, is walk away. Walk away. It's the easiest. We were both young enough. We thought, oh, we can, we can move on with our lives. But... It wasn't even enough at this point so bad to stay together for our kids. Let me just say that God doesn't just want you to stay together. That's only part of the covenant. Well, I'm just going to stay together. No, it's the love and the cherish one another. So I don't remember the exact moment but over a few months the Lord began to speak to my heart and reveal the call that was on my life. I was just singing. That's all it really was to me at the time. I loved the music and I was a lead worship the Lord revealed the call and said, everything I've called you to, this is at stake. And I've called you first to love your wife, to pastor your wife, to pastor your children. And the thought hit me, if God can part the seed, surely He can keep Mommy and Daddy together. And I realized this, That marriage was not first about (coughs) me and Nikki. It was about me and the Lord. This is worship. How can I get up here and say that I'm worshiping God and yet not honoring my wife? It's hypocrisy. Worship is not singing. That's a manifestation of worship. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. And so I remember I was at the end of my road. I remember talking to my mom, saying, "Mom, you don't understand how bad it is. I need out." And she she was very upfront with me. She said, "Chris, it's not biblical. It's not right, and you're not going to get permission from me." And my mom would have cut me. I was more scared of her than I was the Lord. And so Nikki and I decided, let's, instead of pointing out the faults on each other, let's just work on ourselves. Amazing what I do, and so I, I stayed. And I'll be honest with you: I thought I could stay. I know I can do this, but I don't know if it'll ever be good. But when you treasure Christ above all things, miracles happen. In May, we're celebrating twenty years of marriage. This week. My wife is going to, to Louisville for some, for some training for her job and some certification. Normally, years ago, this would have been a chance for me to have a long time and for her to have a long time. But I, don't, I can't be four days without her. I'm driving up on Tuesday. <laughs> I'm staying the afternoon Tuesday to the afternoon on Wednesday. We're not spending Valentine's Day anymore. Sure. She's everything to me under Christ. The same woman. I didn't have to trade her in for a different model, because if I would have, I would have had more issues with that. I'm telling you, listen, if you're here and you're divorced, this is not to shame you at all. This is a place of grace. I want you to understand that. But if your marriage is on the rocks like mine was, I want to beg you, I want to plead with you. I didn't talk to Bob about this, but that's a good word. The Lord is saying to you, don't do it, don't split. There's a better way. This church, God's about to bust loose in this place and the devil doesn't like it. And He's coming at us from all angles. One of the places that He's already coming against is our homes. Men, be the leader of your home. Don't let him in. Women, fight for your home. Your family is worth fighting for. Okay? Here's all I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to open up these altars. Crisp place. I'm not going to try to create anything. I going to invite you to stand. You may not feel comfortable doing that. That's okay. That's okay. But do stand with me. Um, I would just ask anybody who's welcome to come to the altar today. Single people, you may want to come and just say, "Lord, I feel empty without without somebody else in my life. Would you just help me to feel your love and security in you today? If you want prayer, I'd love to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, I would love to pray with you. But I just want to, I want to invite couples to come up. And man, I would love it if you would take the charge on this. Just pray and seek the Lord together. I'm not just calling for marriages that are in trouble, okay? I'm calling for people that would say, hey, man, I want my family to be incredible. I want it to be used for the glory of God. I want the glory of God to shine in me and through me. And if you're here and your spouse isn't with you today, you want to come pray for them, whatever your need is. Come down, but but come and pray with your spouse. And let's just seek the Lord for, for a little bit. Can we do that? Amen, Lord, for every couple of us.